You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Acme Packing Company podcast feed. I'm Justice Mosqueda. I'm joined here by Tyler Brook and Evan Tex Western. Say what's up to the people, guys. What's up? Oh, we made it. We did it. Lots of obstacles, twists and turns, but we made it through the draft. <laughs> made it through all the picks. Uh, you didn't hear me on the Twitter spaces on day three of the draft because I was sleeping. That's right. You're hearing, you're hearing that right. I owe Tyler and Tex, like, whatever their favorite bottle of booze is um, for taking that over. I literally – all right, this is the story. I stayed up through the night, no joke, watching D-line film, trying to figure out, all right, the Packers are going to get some of these guys. I got to have, like, at least a couple guys that I like. I saw the number one pick on day three was traded, set an alarm because I was like, okay, the Packers, nothing relevant is going to happen until at least that time. I'll go ahead and take like a little 40 minute nap. Woke up. It was 4 PM. Not sure what happened. You guys had all spammed (laughs) me. People that I care about in NFL media were like, saw you didn't react to the Clifford news. Are you alive? (laughs) Yes, I was alive. I was asleep. I had, the worst uh, sleep management uh, of anyone on that day, on that particular day. The last guy I'd actually watched was Carl Brooks, the kid out of Bowling Green that Green Bay ended up taking. So, hey, there you go. There some of it prepared me. Like, it wasn't totally <laughs> wasted, I guess. Um, I guess let's start at the top of the draft. Right, guys? Uh, Lucas Van Ness, defensive end from Iowa. A little bit of a controversial pick. Um, just Which because- blows me away. Well, he just gets branded as, like, he was a backup at Iowa because it's a very easy thing to point to. I fully, based off of the conversations I've had with uh, people since the draft, I fully believe that if Jalen Carter wouldn't have been there at eight for the Philadelphia Eagles to trade up to, or if they couldn't end up flipping that pick with the Bears, he would have been their selection at 10 at for, for the Philadelphia Eagles. So, no, he was not a reach, guys. He is a edge rusher who physically moves like one of those teeny tiny 250 pound guys except for he's 270 something and yep. he's like 21 years old and six five so almost and the, the, there. the starting thing is is a, a load of bs because it's it's yeah. iowa's weird iowa does weird things like give 50 or seniors who are not the best player at their position the first two snaps of the game and then subs in the guy that is actually going to play the rest of the way so. yeah and Pretty I think strange. in it, if there wasn't the pandemic, those guys probably wouldn't have been around. And like this, this goes back to like all of these classes are tainted by the pandemic, and you cannot overlook that ever. Like I think in a normal situation, Van Ness would have been, you know, that starter. Plus, like guys, three years ago, he was a two hundred twenty pounder focusing on hockey. Like <laughs> the line has only moved up since since he's been there at Iowa and we're getting him at the right time. Yeah. This is kind of like, this is kind of like the Gary pick all over again. And there there wasn't a, instead of a Brian Burns being on the board, it was 230 pound Will McDonald. Who's a 25 year old on the board. So like, I'm not going to blame them at all, you know, for, for not getting like an immediate production guy. Cause I don't think that guy was there. I I think about him as more of an, like, you know, in the Rashawn Gary situation, more of like an edge setter than Gary was, I feel like, because the thing that always pops out to me, his technique and leverage against the run just consistently stand out. Like, he can absolutely kick inside if he really needs to. He plays bigger than 272 when he has his hand in the dirt. Yeah. I almost, I mean, I know they said they're going to play him at edge. And I don't want to bring back the Dayton Jones vibes because he got moved around way too much during his career. And I, I think it probably messed him up and messed that pick up. But like you look at the depth at outside linebacker and then you look at the depth at, you know, three, four end and 
I I don't know. Like maybe he is. I mean, he probably won't do it this year, just because adding all that weight in a rookie season is just something that's not tenable. When this guy has not been a you know at least on paper has not been a starter before, and has never played a seventeen game season before. Like he's not going to add all that weight this year. But like maybe twenty twenty four, he actually ends up playing three four n and just being one of the more athletic players at the position in that spot. So. Yeah. It, and I, I imagine early on, especially in rookie, rookie year, they're going to use him a little more like they use the Darius Smith. Bring, yeah. bring him on inside as a pass rusher in on third downs and um, obvious passing situations. And I think it was John Eric Sullivan or one of the Packers scouts who, who said that, that basically you're taking a guy who has physical tools comparable to Rashawn Gary with positional versatility comparable to Zadarius Smith. I think that's a, a good roadmap for how they're probably going to use him, at least as a rookie, till they kind of figure out what they've got with him and and you know, if his if his frame can take on some more weights and maybe play on the interior a little more consistently. I am totally fascinated. I know we'll get to the rest of the picks in a second, but uh they're they have a lot of versatility all of a sudden on third down of a lot of guys that can do inside out things. So packages are gonna be really interesting to see, especially early on in the season. Give me the will, psycho package. I want the psycho package back. <laughs> it'll be nice too because I mean they have edge rush depth. Like I, I thought outside linebacker. I didn't think outside linebacker was as big of a need as some other people did. I understand going to pick that early when it's you know 13, you're probably taking, you know, a future left tackle or edge rusher or interior tackle, whatever whatever it may be, right? Um you you look at the edge guys, it's Van Ness, Smith, Gary, Enik Barre, Hollins. All those guys can get after the quarterback. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I, you know, they have history developing at that position too, so I'm not worried about that. For whatever it's worth, um, John Eric Sullivan and Milt Hendrickson, those two guys, if you follow, like, where they end up going beyond, you know, where, where Goot ends up going um, in terms of, like, the visits in the draft, it ends up kind of telling you a little bit like where where Green Bay's eyes are because those are the two most respected guys in in that front office outside of Goot, and those are the guys who are taking visits, you know, to like Iowa State, and they end up getting Anthony Johnson, or they're at Minnesota, and uh, you know they're very interested in like that Howden safety who went from like a UDFA non combine invite guy to being drafted in like the fifth round after some buzz started going around with him, so. Just something yeah, worth some, noting. Some uh, interesting fifth round picks, I, I guess you could say. Yeah. Some surprises. <laughs> we'll we'll get, get to that. Yeah. Let's get to the second guy, Luke Musgrave, tight end at Oregon State um, yeah. from Bend, Oregon, Oregon's finest. Um, keep him off of uh, Mount Hood for a while. <laughs> no more injuries, please, for the love of God. He's an F tight end, you know, really kind of broke out this past season in like a two game sample set where. Oregon State finally started feeding him. He was a guy I, I know, not people on that Oregon State staff, but like people who are close to that Oregon State staff. And I had poked about um, just kind of like the story there. And everyone came back and told me that, you know, the, the whole thing was last season or 2021, rather. They had, after that year, they had realized like our best player is Luke. We are not getting him the ball enough try to make it an emphasis. That's what they did going into 2022. And then unfortunately he got hurt, but sounds like he's healthy now, return to the field, all that stuff. Um, more of a mismatch tight end than I think Green Bay has had in a very long time. Yeah, he can definitely. do things like if he's the X, he can run like a deep dig and actually create separation against the corner. Like that's something this team hasn't had, even with, you know, a guy like Robert Tunyon on third down. And then when Tunyon went down, I would like to see how many third down targets uh, DeGuara got because it seemed like they just kind of like, I don't want to say like decoy routes or anything like that, but like they just like exhausted him on like third downs. They were just like, okay, here is a route that took up someone's responsibility. Let's throw it to someone else. Um, So having a guy like Musgrave is certainly going to help. They seem to like him. As like an inline Y, more than really, I did. Yeah. Um, but like, okay, we'll we'll see it. I mean, he certainly has the frame for it, right? Like, you you yeah. could theoretically make him a Y just off size alone. 
that, that didn't pop up on film. But what did is, especially the senior bowl and, you know, the limited reps I could see in 2022, I'm actually really looking forward to watching the 2021 stuff. He flies down the field, like cannot keep up with them. And that in and of itself, very exciting to think about as long as love is willing to throw uh, in the middle of the field. Well, they, we talked about it before, but they, they tried to get Darren Waller multiple times in the last couple of years. And yeah. this is, this is that, that guy with that physical mismatch, that speed at that size to, to play that detached role as a, um, as a receiving option. So I, I think ceiling wise, his ceiling is as high as anybody in this draft class at that position, um, just based on the tools and. Oh, text died out. Text is having a day. <laughs> Let's he'll he'll pop out again, um, and then come back in. Let's talk about Jaden Reed, the wide receiver out of Michigan State. That was one of your guys in this draft class, Tyler. Yeah, I didn't buddy. see him until uh, after they turned in the selection. I watched the Illinois game because I knew that they had you know three defensive backs that were going to get drafted pretty high. Actually, I think they all went day one or day two. I think um, if I'm remembering this correctly. Sounds about right, yeah. Watch him against uh, Illinois. Very fluid guy. Not as quick as he is fluid. Um, has good enough speed. They they did a bunch of stuff like basically the routes that they were using him on, right? It's like curls, slot fades, and then crossers. So that's something that, you know, you could do as an inside guy, as an outside guy. I think they're going to move him around. He was graded as one of the best punt returners, which is a role that Green Bay needed to fill because um, Keyshawn Nixon is just a kick returner right now um, in this upcoming draft. So I thought he was kind of an interesting pick. The other thing that stands out by far, acrobat, like Peyton Thorne, yep. who he had gone to, I believe, middle and high school with, um, was the quarterback at Michigan State. It's why he ended up being at, uh, what was it, Western Michigan, correct? Yeah, his career with Tim Lester, who is now a analyst for the Packers. Right. And then he was an All-American as a true freshman, ended up transferring to Michigan State and then catching balls from Peyton Thorne, who is now currently in the transfer portal because I think Michigan politely told him that uh, he needed to move on and that they were going to look in a different direction. He threw some absolute prayers to read reads uh, stats, at least this past year, weren't very good. I know that's something Paul has looked into. Um a lot maybe he has a different opinion but like I'm kind of a fan of the pick like he made kind of sense and it seemed like Reed was like everyone's favorite sleeper receiver and he just ended up going higher than people expected teams to like him I I had a day two grade on him but I just I was a really fan of his game I still did not expect him being a top 50 pick um I think what's very clear the Packers have had thresholds we've talked about them to death for what feels like years if they are willing to go out of their thresholds for a guy, it speaks to who they think he is as a prospect, right? So I think that speaks glowingly of what kind of player he can be. And just one thing, a good way to describe him when running routes is just like complete and total decisiveness. I think he is extremely aggressive when he runs his routes. And I think it's a kind of recurring theme with a lot of these draft picks is they really wanted competitively tough and aggressive guys that you know want to dig in and be decisive on that stuff um so i I love the pick because i think it's a good fit for the offense special teams and that competitive toughness that at times it felt like they were missing a little bit last year yeah mentioning special teams i'll be surprised if he's not the punt returner from day one based on the 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 numbers he put up at that position at michigan state and and even his first year at at western michigan because that was where he was an all-american was as a return guy right um, as I, as I recall. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a spot where the, you know, the kick return, the punt return positions are very different and you need a different, different skill set to, to play each of those. Packers certainly have their kick return guy, uh, in Keyshawn, but, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of that, that punt return competition in, in the preseason. I will say, one of the punt return touchdowns was totally fake. <laughs> it's fake, yeah. <laughs> I, I I I watched I watched the uh, punt return touchdowns um, after we recorded on day two because I finally had time to look through some stuff. Um, 
and, you know, that Illinois game and stuff like that. Was the that part- overnight? Was that, was that the all nighter? Buddy, <laughs> dude, there was like two <laughs> overnights in a row. I'm, I'm back to a normal sleep schedule now though. Thankfully. Thank goodness. Thank God. It got it right on track on Monday. Um, the punt return touchdown. If you watch the one against Nebraska, it was a, a weird, like he must've lined up as a gunner or as a vice guy, like the, the cornerback on punt team, basically, or a punt return team, because Everyone on that defense is going toward a different guy who had thrown his hand up on a fair catch. And then Reed was actually the guy to get the ball, you know, punt it up to him on the sideline and and return it. So I don't know if that one really translates, but like he's had a couple more punt return touchdowns in his career. Hopefully he'll, he ends up being good at it. It's that for me, it's that combination of wiggle and then like the strength contact balance to fight through and break some tackles as well is where he becomes that like really legitimate threat. And they talked about his strength and they even mentioned that like, that's one of the reasons that they took a chance on a smaller guy. You know, I think it was Goot who even mentioned that he's like, yeah, under the floor, we usually get bigger guys, but we felt more comfortable because of like his, how he um, performs at the catch point and stuff like that. And that definitely did show up on film because Storm did throw him some prayers. Third round pick Tucker Craft tight end in South Dakota State. They double dipped at the position, and I think they complement each other pretty well. Um, I mentioned, you know, Musgrave is more of that F tight end, who's kind of like a mismatch guy. Craft was a guy who they played in line at South Dakota State, and he is just tenacious once he has the ball in his hand. Just incredibly aggressive. Is going to get some broken tackles. Runs hard like hell. Um, they legitimately threw a ton of screens at him as a tight end, like. They had this one, like, if you play, like, Madden, they call it, like, a Texas route, right? Like, it's West Coast terminology, so if you played in one of those systems, you know that. Where you kind of, like, go outside, and then you cut 45 degrees and go upfield. They would do that with him at the tight end position, and then just have, like, three blockers in front of him, and would just have him run against, you know, the best FCS guys out there, and he would just, like, stiff arm and fight like hell. He's very different from Musgrave in that way. I know people have pointed out, like, look at Musgrave's film and tell me when he breaks a tackle, right? I, I, I do think that there is some of that in Musgrave's game. It's more about like separation and stuff. Whereas, you know, Kraft can be an inline guy who's also a broken tackle guy. Oh, and by the way, he runs like a four, six. So it's not like he's a bad athlete or anything like that either. Um, really I, liked him. He was I'm my third s- ranked tight end. So like we got him yeah. in the third yeah. um, in a good tight end class. Great. Look, after a couple of years of having Robert Tunyon as your primary receiving tight end, I am looking forward to seeing some yak from that position. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but both of these guys, right? Musgrave, hopefully doing it, getting getting some separation, getting some space, and then Kraft just running running over and through people. Yeah, I think of, I, I'm starting to see the vision right where you see you think Christian Watson and the rest of the wide receivers stretching the field vertically. Musgrave can do the same. It's really going to open up stuff for Kraft underneath, where you know he doesn't really have to separate downfield but he just needs to get the ball in his hands and then break one tackle and he's going to make some plays that i'm I'm starting to envision what the offense is going to look like especially the passing game there's going to be some opportunities for some guys to eat and this is where i think they kind of complement themselves right so depending on where musgrave plays right so like if musgrave is split up from the formation right then Kraft can play a Y like it's, it's no problem, right? Inline tight end, hand in the dirt, all that stuff. And then if Musgrave is a Y craft can play that wing and, you know, he's as effective there as he would be at Y. So I think they complement each other. Well, I don't think this was a situation where like they're playing the same spot. Plus like, okay, now you have a legitimate three man rotation at wide receiver. If you're going to be in 12 personnel more, like it's a, it's a easier way to ease in, a guy like a Jaden Reed or something like that. Um, so I'm excited. I, I like everything that they did on day one and day two of the draft. I have some nitpicky things about day three, which we'll get into, but I, I think those are much less impactful selections. Um, fourth round, their pick, Kobe Wooden, defensive end out of Auburn. He actually played the edge at times. There was an injury at Auburn that forced him out there, um, if I'm reading this correctly. Uh, or, or if I was told it correctly, he did play some interior stuff. Um, if you go on, on my Twitter account, I have a cut up of every single snap that he played on the interior against Alabama. Apparently, he dropped down to the 270s um, because he wanted to run faster at the combine. He's been gaining weight since then. 
I think he's high 270s now. Um, he's expected to play around like 285 in season, which is roughly a, a little heavier than he was playing at Auburn, but roughly in that range. Um, I was surprised that they didn't go with Jacqueline Roy with this pick because Jacqueline Roy was the guy that they brought in on a visit from LSU and is a very different player from Wooden. So Roy was more of the guy who had the film that looked like he would translate well to three, four defensive end, but he bombed the combine. Whereas Wooden doesn't really have the film, but he has the uh, athleticism scores and stuff like that. How do you guys feel about the pick? I, uh, I watched some of your cutups. I watched a little bit else. Like I haven't done a deep dive on them yet. I see some flashes as an interior rusher. I think he can disengage uh, sometimes, which is nice. But from what I saw from yours and what I saw from a couple other times, he exposes his chest way too much. And, you know, non-football term, that sounds really weird, right? But you you can't just leave yourself open like that because you're not going to be able to disengage. And he kind of gets locked up a lot. Um, so I'm, I, it's very confusing what his role is going to be on the team. I think his, his weight is going to be interesting to track too. Um, I mean, at the combine, he was down at like 273 and, mm-hmm. and worked out great, right? At, at that size. Um, but certainly if he's going to be playing in on the interior for the Packers, he needs to be up closer to like 290, 290 plus, uh, to, to hold up on the inside. And he said he kind of, he played at that 285 to 290 range. And he said, I think in his, uh, uh, his me- media availability after the pick that, he was at like 283 now. So he said he expects to probably put on, try to put on about 10 or 15 pounds and, uh, and play on the inside because that's where the team said that they, they want him. So that'll be interesting to watch and, and see if, um, you know, see where he ends up and what his playing weight ends up at. Is he going to start opposite of Wyatt at 3 4? So Wyatt played something like 200 snaps last year, right? Last year's first round pick out of Georgia. So he's going to have to come in and, and, take up some of the snaps that uh, Jaron Reed and Dean Lowry left on the table when, the, you know, they hit free agency. It's going to be Slayton who, you know, is the second nose tackle or wooden at that DN spot as it stands today, you know, unless the team is able to get some vet on a minimum contract in you know, post-draft free agency, that's what it's shaping out to be. And that's, that's where I'm really worried. And I'm almost like mentally have to be like, because this was a dice roll of a pick, right? This guy is not ready to be an NFL player right now. Uh, like on film, he he he's not he's not a guy who should see the NFL field. But athletically, yeah, I mean, he does stand out at his size. So, like, are they going to give him those developmental reps? Or is it going to be Slayton and then Jonathan Ford has to be in the rotation as that second nose tackle? Like, I don't know where the defensive line goes from here, but, like, mentally I'm almost in a spot where – I just have to accept that the run defense is just going to stink. I think that's a, the spot I'm almost in. It, it was – I'm so confused by the effort of getting all of these hybrid D-end edge guys. I know they brought in uh, Adi Barre and Keon White on visits as well. What do you think the strategy is behind that? Or like, Are they trying to do something different with the defense? I don't know because they've had – like, what's the name? Uh, Delonte Scott, right? Like, Delonte Scott was like an undersized yep. uh, defensive lineman that they had on the practice squad and stuff like that for a couple years, and they never did anything with him. Now he's in the XFL. I think he has, like, the most uh, the most sacks and TFLs of, like, an interior defensive lineman, um, you know, in, in that league, and they just didn't use him at all. I don't, I don't really know what their plan is, but they did say, I think it was Goot, said that their two priorities coming into the draft were interior pressure, which I'm not surprised by because Jaron Reed and Dean Lowry didn't do anything last year. You could have played uh, Devontae Wyatt. That would have helped maybe a little bit. And then offensive skill players, and they felt like they addressed both of them. I don't know. Quarterback, Sean Clifford. This is the one that sent everyone into a tailspin. Fifth-round pick. Uh, early, The first of two fifth-round picks, the quarterback at our Penn State. Ended up watching him. I think there's like three to five things he needs to fix before he's Colt McCoy, but like he could (laughs) get to that spot. I I do think that he's a very smart guy based off of everything he's doing pre-snap. It seems like he's handling everything. 
Number five at Penn State, absolute bozo. The running back, he has to get him lined <laughs> up every single time. Like, I get that you're drafting a clipboard, basically, at this pick. Um, it hurts with the fifth-round selection, right? Because maybe that could have been I, – I don't know what the – I haven't really thought about, like, who I would have rather had with that fifth-round pick. Like, with Wooden, right, the obvious one is Roy, because I, I know Roy can play, and he plays the same position. I don't think there was a quarterback there I, I was particularly fond of. Um, I asked around the league. They don't think that the Packers actually like really like this guy this high. They just got spooked because it was something like five quarterbacks and like the 15 picks ahead of them or something like that. It, it, there was a quarterback run and it basically became a thing where it's like, if we don't pick Sean Clifford here. Now we might have to like sign Tanner Morgan as an undrafted free agent, pay him more money than what we're guaranteeing Clifford and he's going to have to be the QB too. So tough decisions for the team. It, it was rough. Yeah. That, that run kicked off in like the very, very end of the fourth round with Stetson Bennett to the Rams. And then it just kind of kept going those, those first 15 picks or so of, uh, of round five. And I remember I, I said in either the Slack or I tweeted that at 139 had just gone off the board and it was, um, might have been Tanner McKee or one of these guys. I said, all right, the Packers need to move up now to get Dorian Thompson Robinson to have a guy who I think could actually have a long-term future as a a backup NFL quarterback. And they didn't, and the Browns took DTR literally 30 seconds later with that, with that pick. So yeah, I think that's, that's probably what happened is, um, I, I think was it Goody or one of the guys said that they saw these quarterbacks coming off the board, some of whom they had rated below Clifford. Yeah. And they were like, crap, we have to get our guy. And um, I think the, the the only thing that makes me that I'm I'm coming to terms with it, right? This is my bargaining phase of my my stages of grief is that the Packers moved back in round two twice, picked up an extra fifth and got a guy that we all, I think, really, really like and love the fit with the other fifth round pick that they acquired 10 picks later. And so basically this was... You know, this was a bonus pick that they didn't have coming into this weekend, um, or effectively was. You know, they got one fifty nine as the the one in the trade, but that made this a bonus pick. And so, eh, okay, fine. <laughs> I've, I've I've bargained my way into at least like not hating it as much, uh, just because of the the extra pick that showed up. I think I should have known all along that. In the entire series of draft draft talk, I think Sean Clifford was the only person I would just straight up like ragged on. So naturally, he was going to become a Packer in the fifth round. Uh, you asked like who you would have wanted um, between Clifford and the next pick they made, which is only ten picks. There's a couple guys. I mean, Mike Morris, the DN slash edge out of Michigan, could have been kind of interesting. Might have saved you from like a Carl Brooks pick. Uh, although a Timi, the Michigan center. He's okay. And then like Daniel Scott, the California safety, who I never ended up watching. So there's a couple guys there, but it's not enough to move the needle for me. If this makes you feel any better about the pick, I'm talking to the listener right now. So I wrote an article called a changing NFL climate may explain the volume of the Packers day three picks. Um, There's a lot of reasons why this is happening. But undrafted free agents are getting a lot more guaranteed than even draft picks are. So, for example, there are guys who are signing right now for $230,000 guaranteed. Um, You know, Samari Toure, the Packers' last seventh-round pick uh, in last year's draft, ended up with like a $70-something thousand dollar signing bonus and didn't have a dime of his salary guaranteed. So if you're looking at it from that perspective – the Packers really don't have cap space to be messing around and cutting some of these, some of the, anyone with guaranteed money, basically at this point, if they would have waited until undrafted free agency for a guy like that, it almost certainly would have been more competitive. And if they do end up releasing the guy, their dead cap is going to be three times what it is of even a draft pick. And, you know, that might be an example of like, well, the draft should just be shorter then, right? Like if they're, if, <laughs> teams are just going to spend this much money in undrafted free agency and attract them like that. Um, but this again comes back down to the salary cap. And um, I mean, certainly they would have had other quarterback options. I think if they had the money, 
you know, just in like veteran free agency and stuff like that. But these are the kind of decisions you have to do when you have like a million left in salary cap and you can't really make any moves and there's really no margin for error. Like it just is what it is. This is what, these are the decisions we allowed for when we decided to go all in at the end of, you know, the Aaron Rodgers era. Yep. Yep. Can we talk about the next pick? Cause that one's way more fun. Yeah, Dontavian Wicks, fifth-round pick yeah. out of Virginia. I have All seen right. him compared to both Devontae Adams and Geronimo Allison since he has been selected. <laughs> so Green Bay Packers fans are having a very normal time. Big swing him. there. Yeah, that's a big swing. Tyler, you want to take this one? Yeah, it's the same thing with Reed. It's two guys that I liked so much, and like I was just kind of ignoring the measurables and athletic testing and even like the stats and drops. It was just these guys know how to play wide receiver. Uh, with Wicks, it's just he's such a intuitive route runner. He can go up and high point it. Uh, he can make plays after the catch. Uh, just don't ask him to – just don't rely on him to consistently catch the ball last year for some reason. Um, but he was such a productive receiver in 2021, and I think we've officially dubbed this class the Go Check the 2021 Tape rookie class because <laughs> all of these guys, it seems like – it's like, yeah, they didn't have a great 2022, but – that year Mus- before. Musgrave, Reed. I mean, Kraft got hurt too. I think Kraft turned it back on once the FCS playoffs started. Wicks. Yeah, I mean, what? That's four of them in the first yeah. five rounds. <laughs> well, Wicks is, yeah, Wicks's numbers in 2021 are ludicrous, right? Over 20 yards a catch, something like 12 or 14 touchdowns, I think, for, for a Virginia team that didn't really do anything. And then, yeah, he just fell off the table in 22, in part because of the coaching change and learning a whole new scheme. And I thought his comment about, well, why did you have so many drops last year was really telling. He's like, I'm, I'm out there. I, I'm thinking all the time and I'm not just yeah. playing. And so, you know, I, I think that'll be the, the focus for this coaching staff, right? Is to, to get him playing fast, not get him thinking about what he's doing, just get him doing it and just, you know, go out, run your route, catch the ball and, um, you know, maybe simplify it a little bit. And, and I think that he could be a, a real serious weapon moving forward. Um, I think it was Milt Hendrickson, the uh, director of football ops who came from the Ravens. He also might be one of the reasons why the team's pro personnel staff has gotten a lot better recently. Uh, I've been told that. I think he was the guy who in the presser, because him and um, what's his name? John, he's got three names. John, John, something, John something. Eric Sullivan. Yeah, John Eric Sullivan. Yeah, that, that's the other guy that uh, people respect a lot in that staff uh, nationally. He was the guy who also said, like, Wix, he, they basically asked him about, you know, why he struggled more this year. He's like, oh, I don't know. I think the coaching staff might have had a little to do with it. Um, <laughs> Travis, if you haven't That's a yikes, up, man. Well, I mean, there was the whole – well, I think it's a tricky thing because I think if there hadn't been the tragic shooting at Virginia that also involved yeah. their football team, people would be talking about the football product there a little bit more. Um, Tony Elliott was a guy who, once he stepped into that offensive coordinator role for Clemson, it's not like the team did very well in that role. DJ Uyunglele was like the first quarterback for Clemson that really struggled. I mean, Kelly Bryant even was able to make, you know, a college football playoff game and stuff like that. Right. Um, and then he goes to Virginia and, and, uh, I don't think it fared out any better. Didn't the quarterback transfer out of Virginia recently? Was it, is it Armstrong? Yeah. 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 He was rumored to be a Wisconsin target for a little bit, but yeah, he, uh, he transferred yeah. out and is, I don't know if he even landed anywhere. I'm looking at yes. someplace. So I don't, Great I don't, podcasting. I don't know. Like it doesn't seem like the vibes for the offensive coaching staff in Virginia are very good right now. So I'd be willing to kind of trust that. I definitely, this is our favorite pick of day three for sure. Right. Wicks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Brandon Armstrong transferred to NC state. That was going to bug me. But nice. yeah, Wicks, I mean, cause we had talked about him a lot. Uh, I was super pumped about that pick. Um, I just, I don't, he, it was borderline Packers type to me. I don't know. I think he was just inside the thresholds. Uh, I'm curious about his role. Does he compete directly with Romeo Dobbs? I think he's going to be an X, right? He has to be an X. So I think okay. he's more of like the Christian Watson backup role or if they move Christian around, I, I don't expect him to get on the field a ton because you you would think that Toure has an edge over him just from being on the team and they yeah. seem to like him a little bit. So he's probably wide receiver five as it stands right now. And 
you know, a couple injuries have to go down before he really ends up getting into that rotation heavily. But he's a rookie, so yeah, I guess we'll find out. He'll get a time over his four-year contract with the team or something. I actually feel like the preseason this year is going to be super fun because we are going to see a lot yeah. of rookies and young guys that are going to be skilled yeah. positions and see what they are made of. I was thinking about that the other day, and I was like, there's going to be, like, no veteran rest days during practice this year. Like, <laughs> oh I get Bakhtiari. Bakhtiari will have it. But outside of that. Yeah. Um, I think this is 1A, and there's another one that's 1B for me for uh, favorite favorite day three picks. Ooh. We'll get to that one. Is it the kicker? No. <laughs> Carl Brooks, uh, defensive end out of Bowling Green. He played as a true edge rusher. Um is going to kick inside. He did play a little inside at Bowling Green, but he was primarily an edge rusher. He's another guy. I cut up the clip of him, or uh, the, the, I have a cut up of him playing against Mississippi State. All the snaps of him playing on the interior on my Twitter feed. If you want, if you guys want to go check that out, um, that was one of his two Power Five matchups of the entire season. So it's kind of a little good look of him against quality competition. He's basically the same thing as Wooden to me. Um, guy who hasn't played on the interior a lot, athletic. He had more production than Wooden for sure. I think that is just a product of him going against Mac tackles more than anything, yeah. frankly, when I watched him on film. Um, was reminded that there was uh, spacing on his name. I was asking some NFL guys about uh, Brooks, and they pointed back to there was that like Central Michigan edge rusher that PFF had ranked as like the number one productive guy a couple years ago and he ended up being like an undrafted pick. And, you know, I was like, why is it, why are his like metrics so good? Why did he have so much production? If, you know, you guys don't think that he's going to be, you know, an advanced pass rusher. And they're like, the Mac is of lesser quality than, uh, I can't remember if it's Ohio Valley or Missouri Valley conference. The one that North Dakota state and South Dakota state and all those teams playing. They're like the, the Mac functionally is like a mid-level FCS conference in terms of talent like they're they're just not up there in terms of like even you know the AAC or or Mountain West or anything like that so um curious as to your thoughts guys on this one he he's got a little play strength he's got a little hand usage he can get extended problem is he has tiny ass arms 31 and a half he inch does arms. yeah very small um my my big problems I don't think he was very disciplined and obviously you don't have to to be in the Mac to get the kind of production he had uh, he wasn't particularly fast. His pad level was too high. And then the thing that stood out on film a lot to me, uh, he has to get subbed out a lot, but he still looks noticeably gassed on reps. Like there are reps where he cannot do anything because you can flat out tell he's exhausted. So that's not super great. But again, he's a round six pick. Everyone's saying that's such good value there. Feels appropriate to me. I have very I'm- little take on him other than the, Agree, the Mac is bad. So <laughs> okay, um, and we got kids that might go to the yeah. Mac. Okay, Mac's great. Everyone loves the Mac. <laughs> yeah. What's the company line? What's the company line? Um <laughs> the, the the thing that worries me more than anything, I think Wooden is your D line four right now. Because I think Slayton is probably has an edge over him, especially once they put on the pads and stuff. And then your D line five is Carl Brooks. They've really only roster five guys and you know we've mentioned to death you know Jonathan Ford was 17 games 17 healthy scratches last year so I don't know if he ends up making the team they need these guys to play well and they took two complete dice rolls of players for you know maybe the upside but like I don't know there's not a whole lot of clips of them dominating floating around and in the games that I've seen I haven't really seen it like they seem more like workout warriors than anything we're about to find out if Jerry Montgomery can coach this year, guys. Yeah. You guys excited? I've had questions <laughs> about if this guy can coach for a while. I'm ready to learn because Devontae Wyatt's got to play a whole lot more than 200 snaps this year. Yep. We got to figure out if Slayton can play at the end or not. And now we got two complete dice rolls of picks on the defensive line. This is like a make or break year for him. I the, the thing that gets me about this these two picks, though, is that you, you kind of knew that you needed guys that can step in and play at least rotational snaps right away. Right. Because yeah. the need is so, so, so strong there. You don't have time to really develop guys to, um, to let them sit in redshirt a year or two, um, at that position, at least like you could elsewhere. So, um, that's, I think the biggest, 
confusing thing to me is at least if you take a guy like Roy, you think you can probably plug him in at least on early downs and, and yeah. he can stop the run a little bit. Um, that's just my biggest question about these two is, yeah, why do you take projects rather than guys who might be able to step in on day one? I have a theory and I have no way of proving it. And I don't even know <laughs> how accurate it would be, but I love it. it Let's be, hear it. Could, could it be that the scouting department is thinking, you know, this is a development year and maybe they've already scouted a year ahead and they think that there are better D line prospects that fit what they're looking for next year. And they just want to take chances on upside guys. I've got no idea. So scouting departments look way ahead on this stuff. And the only defensive lineman I can think of right now for next year is the Ohio state kid. That's an absolute dog. Uh, Tui Moloow. That's all I, I don't know, but like potentially being bad at safety and at the end, <laughs> not <great>. is, it's <laughs> going to drive me crazy this year. Cause I'm just going to have uh, to look away and just be like, we suck. We're, we're just straight by the salary cap. What did you want us to do? Basically um, the other six round pick Anders Carlson, third kicker off the board. Yes. The brother Ooh. of Daniel Carlson, the, the uh, all pro kicker for the Raiders, uh, Rich Passaccia had coached his brother with Las Vegas. Um, the story on Carlson, he ends up tearing his ACL back in 2021, I believe, on an onside kick, uh, uh, onside kick uh, attempt. Oh no! Uh, yeah, not not good. Uh, 2022, he ends up playing the entire season with a brace on. The brace did not come off until basically like the day of the combine. Doctors were even advising Carlson not to take the brace off yet, but he wanted to show teams that he could kick without it. Um, Carlson also. Uh, I think it was a fractured shoulder that happened um, late in 2022, which ended his final season at Auburn prematurely. Um, it's funny because Auburn has, uh, I think it's Evan McPherson's little brother behind him there at Auburn. And wow. I, gu- I guess some people thought that he was going to end up getting the starting job over Carlson in 2022 after the injury and you know him playing with a brace on and stuff. But he was like in a legit camp battle and ended up beating that kid out. Um, they said, you know, Basachi's confidence in the kid uh, is one reason for the pick. If you look at his stats, the worst stats of a kicker, um, even if you like so how I use stats to look at kickers, right? You adjust um, for distance, right? And then it's just basically plus minus for what you expect a draftable kicker to look like. Anders Carlson was about two times less efficient than any kicker drafted since twenty since the 2018 class. Um, but he was an All-American as a sophomore. So this is a big-time, like, medical, like, what are you getting out of the kid? Like, do you trust him to bounce back, like, type of a selection? They didn't shut the door on the potential of Mason Crosby returning, and they also didn't give out uh, Mason Crosby's number, which is notable when they uh, uh, announced, you know, the rookie draft picks numbers and uh, the undrafted free agents. They're up to 88 players on the roster and there's no number two so i kind of believe what what good said about you know leaving the door open for mason carlson is a big like all right basatia called the shot i trust basatia let's see what it looks like because all the numbers would say this is not a draftable nfl prospect but there's a lot of explanation for the pick and i trust basatia on specialties more than probably anyone on earth my only take uh, is that I learned he was Swedish and I've been watching too much succession. And I was like, I don't know if you can trust that guy. And that's only appealing to people that watch a succession, but uh, they'll get it. They'll understand. <sighs> All right. It's Evan speech, Texas. I, speech I got, I got nothing. Kicker. It's it's a kicker in the sixth round. Okay. Moving on home, home stretch. Carrington Valentine, first of the four seventh round picks cornerback at Kentucky. He can He's move. Like tw- 21 years old. He moves really well. I finally started watching uh, the coach's film on him today. Um, hips, very good. The The funny thing is, you know, in his uh, media availability with the press, he was talking like, press man, like that's exactly one who I want to be. Like that, that it is what it is. Like I'm that mentality. Then I turned on the uh, Tennessee tape and Tillman, who's, you know, a bigger college football wide receiver like Packers size is kind of beating him around every single time that they're impressed man he he does get a couple of wins Valentine does um but I kind of view this as like in the same way like Brooks and Wooden were uh like dice rolls I kind of see it the same way 
where it's like, all right, this guy clearly has cover skills. His strength needs to get better. And honestly, he, he makes a couple of mental mistakes. Um, I think he's a willing tackler, but I don't think he's like great there either. It's almost like, uh, like KB and Ento or something like that, where it's like, ah, I get what you guys are trying to develop, what you guys are trying to develop. I I hope it works out. And at this point, I think Valentine is probably fighting for either the corner five or corner six spot on the team. So I don't expect him to really see the field this year unless it's on special teams. Was Ento the guy you fell in love with in preseason stuff? Or who am I thinking of? I think it, it was uh it was either him or Keandre Thompson. I think I think it was Keandre Thomas that you were you were yeah, big on. Yeah. Because Ento was the converted receiver who just right. like, hung around just in the practice squad tackle. for like, yeah, <laughs> he just hung around in the practice squad for like three years that they figured, all right, someday Joe Witt's going to make something out of this guy. They spent three years trying to figure out if this guy can tackle or not. And the answer was always no, but the cover <laughs> skills were so cool. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I don't think it's really like the tackling thing. It's more of like a physicality and um, just mental reps there. I, I read that Valentine wasn't even a cornerback until like midway through his junior season or something like that. He was a wide receiver in high school when he was getting scholarships and stuff like that before he had moved to the other side of the ball. So just kind of is what it is. You guys have any other thoughts on this guy? Have you, have you guys seen his snap? Nope. Nope. I saw one snap. You sent us. That's all I got. Uh, The film's in the Dropbox. Cornerback six, probably special teams guy this year, you know, turn him into a man. Yep. I'm I'm being totally honest. I don't think Packers fans have to think about this guy for at least the season. So <laughs> cool. it is what it is. Luke Thanks, Nichols, Justice. running back out of Central Michigan, have not seen a single snap of him leaning on you guys. Uh, the, the only thing I'll say about this is, you know, they haven't really had stability at the RB3 spot for a while. Like, Tylen Hill was supposed to be that guy. He ended up tearing his ACL. Coming back, basically by the time he could return to practice, they ended up booting him off of the team. Um, Patrick Taylor was a guy they moved up and down off of the practice squad or, you know, activated for game days a couple of times last year. Doesn't seem like they're in love with him. So I just assume like Nichols and Taylor fight for playing time, maybe with Tyler Goodson as like that dark horse. And maybe they're just going to keep like all three on the practice squad and just activate them a couple of times, you know, during the season. Cause I don't know. Like, is is he a roster lock? I can't tell you because I haven't seen a snap of him. Yeah, uh, just scouting by the box score. This is, I mean, he's another one. Twenty twenty one. Go back to yeah, go back to last year because he put up eighteen hundred yards and sixteen touchdowns in in his junior season. Um, he does look like he's got a little bit of juice as a receiver too, because even that year he put yeah. uh, he caught forty balls over three hundred yards receiving too. So. Um, yeah, you know, I think that that he might be a little more um, of an all-around back than than one might think, given his size is a little you know bowling ball at five ten and two hundred twenty-five pounds. He's he's got a little mileage on him. I think it's six hundred college carries. I will say yeah. one thing: evaluating running backs, I think it goes underappreciated. What's their college workload like? I'll never forget. I'm sorry, Tex, Monty <laughs> Ball, just so many carries. Oh, yeah. he, he could not. <laughs> Keep it but, but then you have Jonathan Taylor who had, you know, 800 carries or something at Wisconsin and, you know, has been a, a, a really solid good NFL running back. Knock so. on all the wood. Tex- I need him to be good with Anthony Richardson. <laughs> I need Tex a fun says, offense to watch. You hear that, recruits? Come to Wisconsin. I'm um, sorry. 926 college carries for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, anyway, carry on. Third, seventh round pick. Anthony yeah. Johnson Jr. This is my 1B. So if I understand this correctly, he was a cornerback at Iowa State who then converted to safety uh, in recent seasons. Every person I had talked to in the league about, you know, the Packers draft only had raving reviews to say about the guy's character. Awesome. Um, Yep. Yep. They're just like, dude, he is a grinder. He's going to like mentally, if you need him to be like that special teams, dude. He's a hundred percent wired like like the guy who was succeeding in that role. So he's another guy I haven't really gotten the chance to see just because of limited time between you know the draft actually happen happening and uh, recording this podcast. Probably give my thoughts on him in a little bit, but people seem to be excited about this selection, and you know even people in the league are like, all right, he he's probably going to end up sticking on the roster at some point. Even though I I think 
safety and tackle are probably going to be the biggest competitions once camp opens, at least for 53-man roster slots. My, uh, yeah, go ahead. My quick comparison, because, you know, Tex kept talking about him, so eventually I caved in the pre-draft process and just skimmed <laughs> through him. Uh, my one-sentence description of him is, we have Jay Ward at home. Like, just a, <laughs> a seventh-round version of Jay Ward. Um, cool. Solid movement skills. Uh, he will try really hard and attack downhill. I'm not totally sold on the play strength being there. I think he whiffs on a few tackles and doesn't really finish them. Um, but again, he clearly has the corner movement skills and he can, he will attack downhill. It's just a matter of can he finish? Yep. Yeah. The efforts there. Um, he's one of the only safeties in this class who actually put up a good workout and a good RAS. I mean, it was, it was eight plus. Um, and there's what, like three guys in this entire class that in I this think class has that's like that. Anthony Richardson levels. Dang. Right. Yeah. So, so you've got that again, uh, corner, corner movement skills. Um, I think that there's, you know, there's a possibility that translates to, to him being able to contribute, you know, as a, as a deep, deep cover safety, maybe even in the slot a little bit. And, um, I remember talking to him at the combine a little bit and, um, he's, he's basically your, your model citizen on off the field in the locker room, in the film room, everything. Um, he was on like, there's a, what's the, the, there's a group that does like the all good works team to recognize guys for like their charitable and their off the field stuff in college. He was on that. Um, he won a, he won a scholarship at Iowa state for, um, that, that, uh, kind of speaks to like his character off the field. So, um, Packers are getting a, a a pro and a great guy for the locker room in this guy. And, um, yeah, I, I think there's at least a chance that, uh, that he can contribute, um, even on defense in year one, if not on defense, certainly on special teams. How can you not root for a guy like that, man? Seventh round pick with all that stuff. Sign me up, man. That sounds awesome. Absolutely. Well, can I... we talk? Oh, good. Can we talk about one more guy before we leave? That's a UDFA. Oh, buddy, we still have one more draft pick. How dare Wait, you? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Who? Who? Grant Debose, the wide receiver. That's out of right. Charlotte. Oh my! Gosh. I assume that's how you say his name. Yeah. Um, another guy I haven't watched the film yet. Just got sent Charlotte film. Over the past day, his story is apparently like pretty crazy. Like they canceled the season in like 2020. He was ended up working like four jobs and stuff like that. Um, just seems like so. So if Johnson is like the like super good guy, Dubose has been kind of branded character wise as like the grinder. Like you yeah. are not like like you can put obstacles in front of him and he will like just try to plow through them as much as possible. So I haven't seen much of him. I've seen people thought that he was, you know, a draftable prospect and stuff. Probably not going to have thoughts on him at the moment. Uh, maybe I will. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, it would be tomorrow. I'm going to talk with Zach and those guys um, for, for the unpacked pod. So maybe I'll have thoughts then. Do you guys have any thoughts on DuBose? I have some random thoughts. Uh, he is a shit talker and I love it. Yeah. I've only watched highlights of him, and he is, like, saying you're too small. He's doing stuff. He's doing first down celebrations where if the referees weren't so white, they'd probably be concerned and scared. Um, <laughs> so he's a gamer, man. I, I, I've only watched just, like, some cuts and clips. I know Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus, who is a Packers fan, uh, was hyping him up before the draft. So I know he's pretty fired up about the pick. Well, there, all I really know about him was that he was one of those guys, kind of like Wicks, where everybody saw him as a Packers fit from the athletic and size profile. So it doesn't surprise me that, uh, that he, they ended up grabbing him late uh, just based on the measurables. Tyler, you want to talk UDFAs. Now is your time. There's only one. There's only one. Cause it's the most the fascinating psycho. guy, the psycho. We talked about Florida <laughs> defenders and how much I loved that defense. Cause everyone is just psychotic on that defense. Uh, Brenton Cox, the edge at a uh, Florida who has been dismissed from not one but two SEC programs? Had well, a force. What, what were the what were the programs, Tyler? Georgia and Florida. We got another bulldog, baby. <laughs> also, what do you have to do to get kicked off of Georgia's team at this point? From what I read, because there was a marijuana possession arrest, and that didn't even seem like it came close to the reason. Apparently, he like got into fights in the locker room and like a lot of a lot of shit like that. I heard and he I'm a fought guest. a coach at Florida, which is maybe why <laughs> okay. he got dismissed there. I, he also, I, heard, he also, I heard that he fought a coach, but it yeah. was in the context of what did he do at Florida. So 
don't quote me on that. But yeah, I did. There, there was a, a clip going around today of him punching first round pick Broderick Jones, the Georgia left tackle, uh, after Jones just mauls him into the end zone on a rushing touchdown. And that was, I think, the, the last straw at Florida that, that kind of broke the camels back there. If, if you want to hear a massive red flag, he had a four sack game in the season opener against, oh no, I'm going backwards. Sorry. Not a red flag. This is a good thing then. 2021. <laughs> 2021 tape. Here we go. Uh, he was pretty quiet. And then the last three games of the season, he had six sacks, including a four sack performance against Florida state. So there's some production there. I remember I watched him a little bit. He is very aggressive at the point of attack. And that's pretty much the only note I remember putting down. He, uh, he also turns like an aircraft carrier. So cool. that was, uh, he was, he was a combine guy and he had like, bottom bottom 20th percentile or something uh agility scores but he's pretty good size he's pretty fast he's got a good burst so and the packers have kind of gone for that type of edge the bigger guy who has better straight line speed better explosiveness um and they don't really seem to be prioritizing the agility times as much on the edge i'm gonna watch him this week and i'll do a video on it uh, and then get that up for apc because i'm fascinated by that background and it seems like a kind of surprising UFA that they would bring in. Um, so. I, th- this, I, I feel like this defense needs adi- some attitude. And I feel like well, we've Quay's said that enough. About, well, Quay's Qu- 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 <laughs> a good start. That's a good point. I love Quay, but, man, but um, I feel like we've said that about the, the, like the defensive line, the edge group a little bit for, for a long time now is that they need some of the shit stirs a little bit. And if he can kind of, get things under control off the field in the locker room, et cetera, and kind of channel that into, into his play. That could be, that could be fun. And maybe that's something that, uh, that they could use a little bit of. Yeah. I think it's going to be tough for any UDFA to make this team just because they've had so many, just yo- they have so many young players who have had draft picks spent on them. And, you know, a lot of the roster is made up of young players. Anyway, I, I broke down, um, if you guys want to check it out at Acme Packing Company, I have a 53 man roster projection where a couple of them I just had to list like competition because it's a couple young guys fighting for some spots. But here are some other uh, UDFAs that stood out to me a little bit. Um, Malik Heath, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss, he was a combine invite, um, fell down the draft board because he ran a 4 6. Um, he actually outgained um, Jonathan Mingo. Go. He actually outgained Jonathan Mingo in terms of receiving yards at Ole Miss. I think it's because it's kind of a point-and-shoot offense and defenses decided to, hey, Jonathan Mingo is out there. Let's cloud up the coverage on him and, and make him throw it somewhere else. So that's why Heath got some touches. Um, but, you know, he's in Green Bay's camp. Jason Lewan, um was a former tight end. He's the only interior defensive lineman that they brought into camp uh, out of Illinois State. That's basically my whole pitch. He's very athletic. <laughs> He's the only interior defensive lineman. I, I, I think, Tex, what was it, two years ago where, where I tabbed uh, trash can full of dirt? What's his name? Oh, Hefflin. Jack Heflin. Yeah. Jack Heflin, where I'm like, he's the only guy who, like, had the size to really make the team as, like, a UDFA on that interior line. Yep. I think Lawan, like, all he has to do is outplay one of those project draft picks, and he could make the team. Like, he, he might have the easiest path of any of these guys at any position, Christian Morgan, when he was coming out of high school, he's a safety out of Baylor. Sorry. Um, when he was coming out of high school, he posted the highest Nike uh, spark score, which is basically like Raz, right? Like it's RAS um, for, for a prospect in his class. So you're getting an athlete there worth noting. Uh, Kadeem Telfort out of UAB. He was another kid who got kicked out of Florida, Tyler. He was, if you guys remember the credit card scandal, that happened at Florida where like four oh, kids got man. kicked out. He was one of those kids. He ended up going to two different junior colleges after Florida. And then I think was a three-year starter at UAB as a left tackle. He's like six, eight. He ended up taking a lot of visits late. Um, kind of surprised Green Bay took him. I think if they would have taken, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had the highest signing bonus um, of any of these UDFAs. Um, maybe he'll compete for one of those two tackle positions who I, that I think are like, you know, OL9 and OL10. And then the last guy, Hendrick Pearson, uh, was listed as a tight end in App State, listed by as a fullback, Tyler, by the Packers. You yeah. got a fullback on the roster. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Fullbacks are people too. They matter. 
<sighs> also, right. Florida, Florida stinks. Go dogs. <laughs> Last thing I wanted to mention. Um, Goot said he didn't close the door on Crosby returning or Adrian Amos returning. Neither of their jerseys were used by the 88 players who are currently on the roster. The other name I would throw in there, Mercedes Lewis, his number hasn't been used. I was told this weekend when I poked around on it, and this was information from before the draft, so who knows, after two draft picks at the tight end position, if this is true. But Mercedes was open uh, to returning to Green Bay as a potential uh you know, as a potential returning guy. I don't know if the playing time now that they've drafted two more dudes impacts that. Um, Sounds like he doesn't want to sign with the Jets. It's not like a personal thing with Rodgers. It's just the tax rate there. So, like, I think he – it's a thing where it's like, I'm either going to stay in Green Bay or I'm going to go to uh, Tennessee or the Raiders or a team in Texas, someplace where, you know, there's no income tax that he's going to finish out his career at. So Respect that. that. Dude, I mean, he does all the dirty work, and he's going to make, like, maybe $2 million. I know. Yeah. Respect. Like, do whatever you want to to get around and get that money. (laughs) You deserve it more than anyone. 5% of $2 million is still, what, forty grand or or something? Oh, jeez. Oh, I didn't know, man. Can I I, do uh, math today? Is it it ten grand? No, it's more than that. It's not. Wait, $2 million. $2 million. 5% of $2 million? Why are we doing this on the podcast? Oh, it is 10 grand. I can't, yeah. I can't math tonight. Sorry. I'm Carry on. Um, has he ever expressed any interest in coaching? This, if there was ever a year know. to get in, him in the building as a coach, just fire just get John him back. Gunn. Just like, yeah. Well, you can be oh, no, he's been replaced. <laughs> yeah. Bring, bring him on as an offensive QC coach and uh, yeah. make him, make him Dunn's assistant. Just bring him back in some capacity, player, yeah, coach. Yeah. I don't care. I think it'd be. I think his presence, with the way those two guys are built, it would just be so invaluable. Yep. General vibes of the draft class, and then let's get the absolute hell out of here. Um, I got for me. I got morning practice, dog. It's late. <laughs> yeah. For me, generally like the picks. I think they pissed down their pants on Clifford, but had a reason to. Like when the quarterback run went the way it did. The only picks I don't like are the D-linemen, um, interior D-linemen. Uh, Wooden, Brooks, just feel like there had to be play- better players out there somewhere, but they took some dice rolls. I, I guess, let's see it. I, I think it's going to be, I don't know if it's competitive is the right word, but I, I don't think we're sure who the interior defensive linemen on this roster are going to be moving forward. I'm going to give it a... B plus A minus because I think what I appreciated is that they attacked like three spots just over and over tight end D line edge and wide receiver. And I just enjoyed that they had a strategy of we're just going to attack these in like clusters. Um, Cause I, I I'll be honest. I don't know what the expectations are for 2023, right? I'd rather see them take a couple chances on some guys with some upside and then just kind of hammer home some spots see who's going to stick there and get ready for 2024. And then hopefully the jets are awful with Rogers playing as much as possible. So you can get a top draft pick or two top draft picks. If the season goes terrible for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel in general, really positive about this class. Um, you got to love the complementary nature of some of the guys that got a different totally. positions yeah. again, Musgrave and craft Reed and Wicks, I think can be, you know, interesting yeah. compliments, especially to the guys that they already have in, in Christian Watson and, and Romeo Dobbs uh, in particular. Um, I, I was shocked that they used all 13 of those picks that they ended up with all nine of them on day three. I thought for sure they were going to try to trade up and, and move up the board for, for something somewhere along the line. And they have 11 um, picks next year with, yeah, they have the Good. Jets pick. Uh, that's the you know the second that can move, that can graduate to a first, and then they have three comp picks coming in. So we're legitimately talking about Ryan Gutekunst maybe drafting thirty five players in the span of three years. Absolutely, he's, a sicko. Insane. he's insane. He's he's nuts. Um, but yeah, just it, it it felt like on days one and two, for the most part, the read pick maybe maybe not so much, but it felt like they read the board really well. Um in the first couple days and you know, they got a couple guys that, that I, I, I do really like, like I said, with, with Wicks and, and Johnson and on day three, um, take a flyer on some, some high character, high, you know, high athletic 
testing guys and um yeah give give yourself a lot of bites of the apple um as as goody always says so i'm i'm pretty satisfied and um i know we we had kind of gone back and forth on whether how much we thought edge was going to be a, a need and a priority um ultimately i i think I'm, I'm still happy that they did get one early um and and once they didn't get a tackle early i think not not prioritizing that position was probably the right way to yeah. go because um you you've got guys in there for for this year you've got a guy in Nyman who you could potentially re-sign and bring back you figured Bakhtiari is probably gone after after next year just with the 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 contract situation the way it is so um you know you can you can look at that next year reload a little bit um you've certainly got the the horses there this season but if there was a guy at that premier position who was there like if Darnell Wright were at 13 you know that that would have made perfect sense but if with him not being in, in that spot um pivoting going to edge uh I, I I like that approach so um I'll I'll in general I'm pretending Sean Clifford didn't you know got basically got picked as a picked up as a UDFA and with that in general I I tend to like the class I know you're muted He's gone. That's a podcast, guys. That's a podcast. <laughs> also, big winner, Rui Ford. Did not yeah. think that he was basically going to go. I mean, I guess it depends on the Adrian Amos potential signing. But at this point, looks like uncontended uh, starter at safety. So with that, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.